You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. So as we were uh, thinking about this series and thinking about us getting started in this six-week series called Distinct, I came up with the idea of handing out little bags of trail mix to everybody and then realized we're all either allergic to peanuts or sunflower. Some of us are allergic to M&Ms even, so, <clears throat> so we scrapped that idea. Um, but we didn't scrap the series, and I'm really, really glad because if anything uh, could be more appropriate and more timely in our society and our community right now, it's a group of people deciding and claiming the truth that we need to be distinct in who we are as Christ followers. We just need to be distinct in who we are as Christ followers. The word distinct just simply means being different, but still being part of a group. So if you think of a whole bunch of green apples and there's a red apple, that's a distinctive color in the group of green apples. It's still an apple, but it's distinctive. And we as Christ followers are called to do that and to be that in in different areas of our life. So this series is really talking about how can you and I impact the world? How can we be M&Ms to the trail mix in society? How can we bring the sweet message, the gospel message of Jesus' love for everybody to a society that desperately needs hope? Because if you think about our society, we're grasping for everything we can. We're grasping for all kinds of truth. It seems like we're not even in a Christian society anymore, which I I believe we aren't. I think we're in a post-Christian society. I don't think we're characterized as a a nation that loves God like we did even 10, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, just look at our political debates. Look at our political situation. We have leaders that maybe mean well, but have no moral, uh, or, or have no uh, uh, seemingly compass in which to do that. Our society needs a group of people like us to be distinctive in our love, distinctive in our relationships, distinctive in how we handle conflict, not only just between believers, but in our society and, and out uh, in people who don't believe, and today specifically distinct in our character of following Christ. And so we're going to dive into the first teaching that uh, we have for what does it mean to be a Christ follower and have our character in your school, in your home, maybe, in your workplace be distinctive. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And many of you, if you grew up in church, you kind of have heard bits and pieces of this. This is the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Uh, it's, it's found in Matthew 5, uh, verse, or chapters 5 through 7, and uh, you can read the whole thing in about nine and a half minutes. No, that's not a guide for pastors for sermons, okay, just to let you know. Uh, but we're going to be taking a look at this incredible Uh, sermon, if you will, called the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just give you some visible context for this. I I think sometimes when we read stories in the Bible, we just kind of picture that, oh, it's not really real, didn't really happen. But what happened in Jesus' life is rooted in history. It's based and grounded in actual facts, not only just from biblical facts, but people outside of the Bible pouring into it. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. So the Sermon on the Mount happened in this area. This is the, the, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually beautiful. It's a resort area. Tiberias is actually the biggest resort city in that area. Um, this is the north side, and I'm just going to be businesslike with my little laser deal here. Sea of Galilee up here, right down here. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sower. We talked about the sower's cove. That's down in this area here. You have these lush farmlands all throughout here, and all of this is all sloping upward away from the, the sea, away from the water. This chapel here is commemorating that area where Jesus actually gave the Sermon on the Mount. We're not sure if that's the actual spot where it is, but it's in that area. And as he did, he sat down, didn't have a microphone back then, didn't have electricity, uh, but all of this mountainous area slopes upward and creates all these beautiful natural amphitheaters. So like on the side of our building here, there, we have a, a slope down an amphitheater area. If you stand at the bottom there, you really don't have to speak very loud for people at the top, up even by the building here, for people at the top to hear you. And so that was the situation where Jesus was teaching right here as he begins the Sermon on the Mount. And what's amazing about this, the, how he begins, he begins with these things called the Beatitudes. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Beatitudes. Raise your hand if you could memorize, if you can say them out loud. Okay, come on up. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, I did that one time to a visitor, and they actually came up, and it's like, oh, I, yo, no. <laughs> um, it was my mom, but that's okay. Okay, so, <clears throat> so the Beatitudes, we're going to take a look at these in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open that up, uh, and we'll, we'll walk through these. And what, here's what's amazing about these. These are not random statements that Jesus makes. There's eight things that he says in these Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes. They're not random statements. Intentionally, Jesus built on each statement as it went along. And what he was building on, he said, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is basically, how do you live as a Christian? How do you be different in the world? How do you live as a Christ follower to have a full life and be a witness for God? And he starts by saying, this is what it means to be a Christ follower, to have character. So I'm going to read through those Beatitudes and then bring it all together in a narrative, in a, in a, in a paragraph that shows how they build on each other, okay? So here we go. This is Matthew 5, actually starting in, in uh, verse 3. He's on the mountainside, he's teaching, uh, and he says to these people, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.'" Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Those are the eight. And then he says one last thing. He says, rejoice from all this, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So Jesus lists out these eight things, the poor in spirit, the mourn, those who mourn, those who are merciful, those kinds of things. And basically Jesus is saying this, the poor in spirit. The word, the word that he uses is a specific word to describe an orphan who is a young child who is hungry, starving, crouched in a fetal position in a back alley somewhere. Blessed are you who are like that. Why does he say that? Because spiritually, when we're before God, that's how all of us are. We have nothing before God. We are poor spiritually before God. That first change that happens is to realize that we, are, we, we, we have no standing before a holy God who created the universe and who could take us out at any point. That's the first change. But then the second change is to mourn over that, to go, oh, Lord, and that's what we do every Sunday. Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I am like, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you again in the same way. We regret that we've maybe disappointed the Lord, even though from God's perspective, he loves you. But from our perspective, it's, man, I just feel so bad about that. So we're poor, we mourn about that, and then the meek have surrendered to God's control. The word for meek means strength under control. When I was in high school, my buddy Doug, his mom bought a Porsche 944. Like risky, risky business. Anybody remember that movie? Raise your hand if you remember that movie. Oh man, we were a young congregation. There's like six of us. I remember risky business. Yeah. <laughs> so... It was that car, just this beautiful, beautiful car. And so Doug's mom went away on a vacation, leaving the car to the high school boys. So Doug picks me up. We go out driving out, and we pull up to this intersection. Turn, the light had turned red. We pull up to this intersection. We're first in line. Car pulls up next to us. It was like this souped-up Chevette. Or I don't know what it was, but it was like, <clears throat> could have been a Chevelle, a, a, something. And, and so... But it, it had, I mean, its, it's engines were like, it was shaking everything around it. And so we're sitting there, we look over, it's a couple other buddies from high school. So I'm glad the kids are gone, um, because we were going to race. Light is red, we're sitting there, and it was just like Back to the Future, you know, if you remember this part. And the light turns green, and this Chevelle, Chevette, something, hits the gas, squeals, and just takes off super fast. And Doug just sits there, vroom, 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 vroom. And as soon as he takes off, he takes off like this, a police pulls out, pulls this guy over. Strength under control, baby. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> they were mad. Okay, so, but that's what, that's what the word meek means. It's strength under control. So the third change that happens is in your ability to realize that you have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to have the strength to control how you respond to events, people, and circumstances. You have that control. How you respond is what matters. Those who are hungry and thirst, that's the fourth change, where this intense desire to just find out more and more about God. If you remember coming to Christ later on in life, all you want to do is be in the Word. All you want to do is find out more about Christ and just pour into His Word and learn more and more about Him. The fifth change that happens is we act in mercy. Mercy is not a natural reaction for human beings. Life isn't fair 
on a natural state. Mercy is not something that we naturally do. It's a divine thing we do. And so as we realize our sinfulness and, and, and grow in that and control how we respond and we, we hunger and thirst for, uh, for things that are right and just and lovely, we put mercy into action because mercy is Christianity with boots on. It's go and do you know, it, it, it is the being, but it's going and doing, reaching the world for Jesus one life at a time. That's what we're called to do as a church. The, um, so that's the fifth change. The sixth change, the pure in heart, we cleanse ourselves of sin. We think of sin in our life and we get rid of it. And it's this idea in the, the original language of being free from germs, uncontaminated. The pure, of heart, the pure heart is one that is free from the contamination of sin. We don't allow sin to invade into our life. That's the sixth change of confessing the sin, the motives, the concealed agendas. Peacemakers. Man, that's the radical call of Christians. How difficult it is to love somebody who attacks you or to step in to be a peacemaker in a tough situation between people at school or people at work. That's the seventh change, is to pursue the beautiness of God through peacemaking. And as you do that, you'll be distinct in your character. People will say, what's going on with you? As your heart changes and your actions change because of it. And as a result is the last one. This is the one we don't like to talk about. Being persecuted for faith. Ridiculed. Harassed. That's the eighth change. But it's a joy to be persecuted. It's a badge of honor to be persecuted for the faith. Now in America, at least in 2016, you share your faith, most likely you're not going to get beat up. That I know of. Unless it's your older brother or something, I don't know. But you're just, you're, that's just, it isn't our culture at this point. Other places of the world, you'd be imprisoned, your family could be killed, the whole bit. That's persecution. Would you endure, at the strength of your faith, would you endure if somebody asks you to deny your faith in Christ? Would we as a church endure if we stepped into compromises? that would compromise our faith in Christ. Eight statements that describe the Christian life from beginning to end in terms of our experience in the world. The poor in spirit, you and me, becoming mourners over our sinful condition. Humbled, you then deeply care for righteousness and find it in the sacrifice of Jesus who showed you mercy. As you become merciful, you learn to see beyond appearances, to behold the inner beauty of every person in the world. Hatred and strife grieves you to the heart, so you become peacemakers, and ultimately your passion makes you misunderstood and mistreated, and therefore the subject of persecution. But again, in that persecution, you become the M&Ms in the trail mix of society. I just came up with that this morning. I I think that's brilliant. I'm just going to say it again. So you can can listen on the podcast if you miss it. In persecution, you become M&Ms 
that flavor and affect the people around you. You've learned to respond with love to the heart of God and with the heart of Christ as you develop your character. That's character. And it's deepened in surrendering to Christ and allowing the Spirit to guide you. This series, I pray, changes you so that God can change people through you and around you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Father, this series, Lord, as we've kind of laid it out, as we'll discover over the next couple of weeks, is really just a look in the mirror of our own life. First of all, our relationship with you uh, and what that looks like and the understanding, God, that what we do isn't why you love us. It's only because of Jesus and, and, and who Jesus has made us to be. And we thank you, God, that it's all because of Christ. Challenge us, God, with this idea of being character, or of, of growing and strengthening our character, God, in our homes, in our community, in our schools, in our workplaces. Lord, we thank you for this place called Trinity through which we can learn and grow, through which our kids can learn and grow, not how to be exclusive from the world, but to be distinct and affect the world positively. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and all of us said together, amen. Amen.